This is part two of a two parts episode with Dr. Gary Burnett from the University of Nottingham about relatable agents. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to UX Soup, a short-form podcast that looks beyond the buzzwords to give you the latest developments impacting the user experience of personal devices and services in the home, in the car, and on the go. As always, UX Soup is presented by Strategy Analytics, a global research and consulting firm providing our clients with insights, analysis, and expertise. I'm Chris Schreiner and I'm joined today by my co-host Diana Franganilo. Diana, hello. Hello, Chris. So today we're continuing last week's discussion with Dr. Gary Burnett on relatable or anthropomorphic voice agents. Dr. Gary Burnett explained to us what relatable agents are and how they should or shouldn't be. And we discussed about how they can support some in vehicle use cases as well for a better overall experience. On today's episode, we will focus on different use cases and on how experiments with relatable agents are conducted to obtain conclusive results. Gary is a professor of transport human factors within Nottingham University and is the head of the Human Factors Research Group. He has conducted numerous studies, as you already know, on the use of relatable voice agents in the car. So let's get back to the discussion. Some of the other work that you've done on relatable agents in the car has been around fatigue and preventing or reducing fatigue among drivers. Could you talk a bit about some of that work? Yeah, so that's another another great use case as well. So when we, we're feeling sleepy and feeling tired on long journeys, it's well known that people seek out an interaction. If there's nobody in the car, that's with the radios or with music, you know, potentially with their phone. But if there is somebody there, then you seek out conversation. And that conversation can help to raise your arousal levels. There's a mental effort in a conversation can start to bring you up it's what is called the Yerkes-Dodson curve. You don't want to have too much arousal. You don't want to have too little arousal. You want just right. about the right amount. And if you're feeling sleepy, arousal levels are low, you can raise that through a conversation. And a digital assistant is a great substitute potentially for a passenger. And our studies um, in driving simulator environment showed exactly that. Drivers' arousal levels went up, their, their driving performance improved, and particularly, and the most interesting part, was that if we then brought a hazard into the environment, I think it was someone in the simulated environment, car broken down, and a pedestrian moving around the back of the car, so something in the real world that you would need to be aware of, ready to break, in our non-digital assistant condition, pretty much nobody noticed it at all. Whereas in the digital assistant condition, where their arousal levels had been raised, most people noticed it and they either went onto the brake or went off the accelerator, ready to go on the brake. So these are really quite important findings that you can use a, a conversation with a digital assistant to raise people's arousal levels and potentially their safety of their driving. Have you done any work on what type of conversation in that situation works best or has the greatest consumer acceptance? And you know, what type of conversation would somebody want to have in that point? Do they want to play a game? Do they want to chat about the weather or what kind of conversation? Yeah, no, that, yeah that's, that's like the further work box, isn't it? 
about what you know where where do you go with it because you know we've played around with a few different potential use cases for digital assistants in cars over the years some of them work some of them don't if your digital assistant says things like you look sleepy shall i tell you a joke then most people don't tend to respond that positively to that they generally are looking for some informative information related to their journey or something that relates to their interests. So you might tell them something about, you know, something they're passing at the moment or tell them about how far till they, they get to their destination or how much fuel or, or battery they have left in their vehicle. Those sorts of things generally are much more accepted than it just completely trying to be your friend. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's all about what type of personality you're putting forward here, I think. Let's talk about trust and establishing an effective relationship between the human and automated vehicles. Anthropomorphism is thought to be one of the pillars of a trustworthy relationship. Gary, could you share with us some insights of your experiments in this area, please? So our original study on this was with a fully automated vehicle. It was a pod-type vehicle that was moving around at low speeds. And we considered the role of the anthropomorphic agent in trust relationships with particularly when there might be what we called a trust challenge, when something might go wrong, that the car just suddenly stopped for no apparent reason. And how a conversation with an agent could resolve that problem, deal with that challenge and lead to, to higher sort of trust levels. So that was really interesting. And compared to, to people having like a touchscreen type interface where they had to then press through some buttons in order to find out what just happened, it's apparent in the conversation that the human believes that the car has expertise. And that is common in human-human conversations as well, about understanding that you know something that I don't know. And therefore, you know, I trust you to be able to do something because of that. So th this was important. The other thing is about transparency, so that it's easier in a conversation to provide transparency as to why something just happened than it might be just sort of written on a display or in a pictogram or something like that. So the conversation allows, the two-way conversation allows more full transparency as long as your digital assistant is, you know, is answering, you know, truthfully in, um, in its responses. And I suppose the other thing is that it's a shared experience. It's not just me in this car. I feel like there's somebody else in that car and that shared experience also Im improves trust. And we could see that in some of the in the linguistic analyses that we did where the human, the rider of this autonomous pod uses words like we. So when they say, where are we going? Then there's a sense that this is something we're doing together. And you could see that coming through. It's really, really interesting. So for autonomous, a fully autonomous vehicle, you can see how you can build these sort of trust relationships through an anthropomorphic agent. For our current project, it's more about handover of control for the level three automated vehicles and how your digital assistant, your anthropomorphic agent, can facilitate the development of situation awareness ready for resuming control. So you've been out of control of the vehicle for for quite some time. Been I don't know. You've been on your your tablet. You've been on the phone, and then the car requires you to resume control because you're coming out of a, the operational design domain. And there's a requirement for you to start to build up some situation awareness. It's not just about take control, take control. You need to build up some situation awareness. 
and your anthropomorphic agent can really help in that reminders to, to discard your particular activities. Now you need to start to look in the mirrors. Are you um, aware of, um, of that potential hazard? Do you know that you're going to be taking the next exit a bit further down the road? All that sort of building up of situation awareness is important before you reach the point of now you can put your hands on the steering wheel. Gary, could you explain us a little bit how is your setup when you conduct research using relatable agents? Right, okay, the first thing to say is that this type of technology that we've been talking about here with anthropomorphic agents, embodiment in avatar form, doesn't exist in a 100% reliable format. Yes, we have Alexa, and we have Cortana and, and you know, and other digital assistants mainly used in home contexts, but they are still not true conversational user interfaces. So that technology is gradually being developed. There's, you know, there's a long history of the development of speech rec recognition technology over many decades, and it will continue to improve. And I do believe that we will ultimately have that type of technologies in our lives. If the technology is not 100% reliable, doesn't exist, then for us in research, we need to make people think it does exist. And we do the, the classic Wizard of Oz type studies. Your listeners will know about Wizard of Oz studies where you're trying to make people think that a technology is, is more intelligent than it actually is when someone is behind the curtains, pressing buttons, pulling levers to make things seem really very clever. And we do effectively exactly the same thing. Across all our studies, we've done it in two different ways. The simplest and most controlled way of doing it is where we have a whole set of pre-recorded messages. So they've already been pre-recorded using possibly a text-to-speech synthesis type system. And then your researcher is basically waiting on what the participant says and then presses buttons for whatever is the most appropriate thing to say based on what they just what they just said. Okay, so it's what, what is the most appropriate thing for the digital assistant to say based on what the participant said. Now, that can give us some quite good control over the situation, but it is pretty limited because you can't deal with a true conversation in that format. If someone just asks a sort of a random question, which has quite commonly occurred in our studies, it gets very tiring for the participant if the system always says, I can't understand, or that's beyond my capabilities. And so what we've done to really start to look at a true anthropomorphic agent, a true conversational user interface, is we've used a professional actor. And that professional actor basically plays the computer. So he takes on a certain degree of intelligence to make people believe that they're interacting with a computer. And he's basically been work, works at a level where he's very intelligent at being able to respond to whatever people say. He can always respond in a way that is convincing to the user, but he still seems like a computer. Okay, so there are no ums and ahs in the way in which he responds to things. He will use deliberately certain pauses in a sentence to seem as if it's part of, of a system that might delay because it's looking for information in a database. A classic line in one of our studies was, I've been looking at your diary and it looks like you have a few things to do on your way home. You need to buy milk. Would you like me to set a reminder for you to buy milk. And it, it's those little pauses can be much more convincing that what you're dealing with here is a computer. And it's interesting because um, you talk to speech interface designers and they say, oh, we're trying to design those out. 
um, and try to to make it more and more human-like. And that isn't necessarily a good idea. Well, certainly for our studies, it's not because we want people to believe that they're interacting with a digital assistant, an anthropomorphic agent, not an actor called Pablo. It's very sort of very convincing. The other thing it's worth saying is that in these studies, we do more than just have the professional actor who's playing the system. We do things like we put a fancy looking box on the dashboard of the car that we deliberately pretend to install. So it's there's an installation there and then we might take a, a famous car manufacturer and then we'll put their label on it and then we'll make out to the participant that this is new technology being developed by this particular company renowned for their innovation and um, the, all part of the pretense makes it very convincing to people. Now obviously from an ethical perspective we have to then tell people afterwards that it wasn't a amazing technology system and it was uh, it was another human that you've been talking to and sometimes that's actually really freaked people out because <laughs> they've been thinking that they've been talking to a computer for quite some time and, um, and then realize they've actually been talking to a human. We had a great example of a person who, who was very quiet when talking to the researcher, was obviously nervous about human-human conversation and then when they were had a what they thought was a computer they were interacting with, they really opened out, having a really in-depth conversation with the computer in their minds. And when they found out afterwards that it was a, wasn't a computer, they were quite anxious about that, how that had happened. So you can see how this can have all sorts of different effects on people. All right. So, Gary, thank you very much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. So, Diana, any final thoughts on relatable agents, anthropomorphic agents? Yeah, my final thought is that I, I need them now. <laughs> <laughs> I need them now to keep me in company in the car. I used to do really long commutes, like two hours commutes. That would have been really welcome. Also, I believe that relatable agents could reduce distraction in vehicle distraction. I mean, at some point when you are driving, you might be, you might hear that somebody is coming through your phone. I know that modern systems are more capable to offer you reading your messages or things like this. But I think, um, yeah, that might be an interesting feature to keep you in company and mm -hmm. also to do to be your PA or something similar. And very often as well, when you are in the car, is when you have the time to reflect and think and get organized and it would be nice and handy to be able to use them in a conversational way to schedule appointments to fill in shopping lists and so on for me i i've been in speech for 20 years or so and back when i was starting like and you had to say a phone number it was one digit at a time and it was very painful and slow and and moving that to continuous entry and then from there to actually one shot entry and and more natural language and flexible grammar we're at a point where i'm ready and excited for the next step in in being more conversational being more relatable having being able to detect and respond to different emotions that's the, the next step in speech and i'm optimistic for <laughs> I'm normally I haven't been optimistic about speech interfaces, but I'm actually more optimistic now than than I have been that it can potentially take that step. 
I, of course, look at this beyond just the automotive space into smart speakers and, and smartphones. Uh, but where we are in automotive and speech, because speech in car has some of the best use cases across the board, most important use cases to help with safety and driver distraction. You know, it's just more useful and more suited for that environment. And as we have more cars that can update themselves and get better over time, over the air updates, I see the automotive industry as having a lot of resources devoted to and a lot of attention on speech. And yes, sure, you have the smart speakers and, and assistance on smartphones. But I think the need for it is so great in cars that once you have more real-time updates and real-time improvements in there, I think that will be good for the voice industry as a whole. And I think that we'll start to see more of those bigger improvements happen more quickly. And I'm excited for that. That raises an interesting point because in the past we have all been disappointed about speech, mm -hmm. not only at home, but also in the car. How do you think that we should onboard those that have previously been disappointed about the speech? Because it was my case, so I have a recent experience. I haven't tried speech for a while because the systems couldn't pick my accent and so on, and it was highly frustrating, and in the end it was even farther distracting for me. But now, I mean, you're right, you're absolutely right. Systems have got much better, but uh, how do we convince users that previously use the systems and felt bad about them to use them again. Yeah, that's a very challenging issue because consumers have used it for so long and they have readily recognized its shortcomings and seen that it's either not useful enough for them or it can never get their accent or never get exactly the, the right contact name that they're trying to call. And so they, they abandon it because you know, they're going to use whatever actually works for them. That's a real challenging issue because it has been years of training that it doesn't always do what they need to do. I think we just need to have a system that can demonstrate that it can handle that. So I see marketing campaigns of people with different accents and people that would have previously struggled with it speaking to an agent and have it work for them. Put that on a bunch of commercials and play them often for people and and I think that would convince people to come around. But we, you know, we still have to get to that point. Uh, we're releasing a report on digital assistance, uh, usage and satisfaction across different devices. And that accuracy issue is still the biggest uh, source of dissatisfaction among consumers across the board, whether it's a car, whether it's smart speaker, smartphone, smart TV, streaming, whatever it is, it's, it's the accuracy of it in a consumer's mind, still isn't good enough. Yeah, I hope that um, when smart speakers get more accurate and more capable, because we are likely to have one of them at home, then we achieve the trust and together with uh, really good marketing, as you highlighted, I think both things together can convince customers to, to look for vehicles with that capability at some point. All right, well, that's all the time we have for today. As I mentioned, we're publishing a report on consumer satisfaction with digital assistance across devices. So if you're interested in knowing more about that, about relatable agents, or anything else, feel free to email us at uxsoup at strategyanalytics.com. 
The show notes on our podcast website, ux-soup.com, has links to our recent research on voice assistance. There you can also connect with each of us on LinkedIn. A reminder that UX Soup is sponsored, as always, by Strategy Analytics. Check out the latest user-focused insights in mobile, automotive, and the smart home by visiting strategyanalytics.com. Thanks for joining us. Bye for now.